Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Flight Number 11 with service to the J. Edgar Hoover Building, Washington, D.C. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, in case of a loss of power and a blinding light, you may lose track of time, possibly nine minutes, but please refrain from asking your flight attendants what happened, as that information is classified and on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> Welcome to the TV Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Purvis, joined by Ooh. Matt Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing on this spooky Halloween edition of the TV Pilot's License? I'm doing oh. great. I would like to I would like to say that officially for this episode only, my name is Witch Inman. Oh. <laughs> uh, please uh, refer to me from now on as Axe Singer. <laughs> Axe, Axe Slinger, Max. Axe oh, Slinger. damn it. <laughs> and I'm just Jeff. I'm and just Spooky Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> It, Jeff with the G, it's the creepiest spelling Ooh, of the name possible. With a G. <laughs> uh, Jeff. How did we all become the announcer on SNL suddenly as our spooky <laughs> voice? Jeff Gerbis. Ladies and gentlemen, who mistake? <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining the podcast. If you did not get by the description, this week we're going to be talking about The X-Files, um, a classic from the 90s starting in 1993. There was a revival. We'll talk about that as well. But for those who might be joining the podcast for the first time, Max, do you mind telling the folks what uh, TV Pilots License is all about? You got it. Uh, so TV Pilots License is a show where we review and break down the pilot episodes of some of the most famous and infamous shows in TV history. We figure out why these shows are successful, if they are, uh, if they can be made today, if we're compelled to keep watching them. If it's your first flight, welcome aboard. We've got a whole library already wherever you find your podcasting needs. And uh, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Yeah, I highly recommend the episode for with everyone's favorite show, Father of the Pride. We all really left some glowing reviews about that one. <laughs> well, talking about a scary show, Father of the Pride definitely fits in that category. <laughs> um, Rich, Someone did get maimed. That, that's true. Someone did in real life get maimed as well as... Uh, in the mental state, I got maimed as well. You know, real life is scarier than anything you see on TV when you think about it. I say that every time I go to Vegas. <laughs> oh my god. Well, Rich, I know when we come into these episodes and we come into the recording, you normally have an extra question. Maybe not something that's entirely related to what we watched, but something that's on your mind. Uh, anything it, this week? Yeah, I think this particular show lends itself to a just a, a kind of like an open-ended like endless list of potential subjects uh one of them uh, you know they describe the department in the fbi for the x-files as uh defining the unexplained which mean it could be friggin' anything i mean they did not limit this to ufos they did not limit it to aliens they did not limit it to conspiracy theories but I am very curious as to what your favorite conspiracy theory is and explain it. Oh, we're going to get some great new subscribers from this one. <laughs> <laughs> mine, mine, I think, uh, I was I was looking this up again because I literally I think I texted like ten people that I knew about it when I read it for the first time and I'm so excited to share it. But you guys go first. Step up to the plate. Max, up to you. God, there there's so many directions I could go. Uh, 
so many things I could say, but I am going to go with the fact that Prince Charles, or soon to be King Charles of England, is actually a vampire. <laughs> Do you what? care to give more? <laughs> or are you so just going to shout your please, unfounded claim? Please, please give more context. I'm going to back this uh, conspiracy up with two facts which are undisputable. One, Charles and his family are, in fact, descendants of Vlad the Impaler. That what? is undisputed fact. Oh, if yeah, you go no, into Charles's family tree, he is a descendant of Vlad the Impaler. The second is that many members of his family have a history of a blood disease called uh, porphyria, which is an iron deficiency, which makes you very, very sensitive to sunlight. <laughs> uh, my third indisputable fact is, look at him. <laughs> look at him. <laughs> So you think the king, the future king of England is the undead, basically? Yes, I believe that he is an undead vampire. Wow, the stakes are high for this. All right. So what you two gentlemen do not know is I have actually been featured on another podcast talking about conspiracy theories. Um, I did not know this at all. It's related to another line of work, but I have some favorites. You may have um, heard of them. They just have to pay a billion dollars of damages. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's a couple that I, I could talk about sports ones all the time. A lot of them center around the NBA, sort of like there's a conspiracy that Paul Pierce, uh, pooped his pants and that's why he was wheeled off of the court, uh, in that very, very famous. I just like that for the alliteration. Yeah. It's, uh, there's Paul also. Paul Pierce's poop pants. <laughs> the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. <laughs> the NBA lottery is literally just like littered with conspiracy theories around it but a frozen envelope a frozen envelope Kyrie Irving just magically going to Cleveland the same year that LeBron leaves um but I'm going to go with one that has to do with media uh in the vein of Frozen by Disney uh now no, if you we do picked not the same one we picked the same <laughs> conspiracy theory are you kidding me we're through the looking glass people oh fuck off all right jeff you and i are gonna tag team this one yeah absolutely so why so i find this one so funny is for those who looked me up on linkedin i work in search engine optimization literally if you prior to frozen coming out looked up the term disney frozen you would see all of the stuff about walt disney's head being frozen uh, in yep. a cryogenic chamber. Now, magically, there's this amazing movie that literally we all know the song Let It Go. We all have our favorite Frozen character. Those are going to come up. You won't find any mention of Walt Disney for the first 100, 200 results. I, <laughs> folks at Disney have said this is not what the intent has was of making this movie. Why would they even ask people at Disney? <laughs> They're going to <Yeah>. lie. <laughs> But, you know, I, I like to think of what a beautiful, smart move uh, by the marketing department at Disney to be like, there's no such thing as bad PR. Let's turn it into a movie. Oh, my God. I, I So, okay. Yeah. Jeff and I picked the exact same conspiracy <laughs> theory somehow, because I think this is what this is the conspiracy theory that is the most plausible out of any of them. Um, there I mean, what other reason would they have needed to make a an Ice Queen movie, really? Because that could that exact story could have taken place in any dimension, in any part of the any part of the world, any superpower. But 
if you are literally looking up the anti-Semitic friend of the pod, <laughs> founder of the Disney Corporation, Walt Disney, <laughs> and it and his stupid severed head. <laughs> I mean, that would be the number one thing that would come up. There's literally, I, I truly can't imagine another reason or or so coincidentally like coming up with one of the biggest Disney titles of all time uh, in an era where the search engine is at its most prominent. There is, okay, so I did have a backup for this, although I love, I love that conspiracy theory so much. Um, there is a... Uh, there's a conspiracy theory that there is in Chicago, this is a Chicago-centric one, um, that someone found a ton of mattress firm locations in the Chicagoland area that are all 0.5 or less than 0.5 miles from each other. And so because of the demand for mattresses and the sheer insane volume of these stores, they think it's a massive money laundering conspiracy that no one's actually going to buy mattresses from the, from these stores and they're just laundering money for the mob. Which, if you take a look at the map of all these mattress firm locations, they're very, very close to each other. I can see this absolutely happening. I've always heard that you hide a little bit of money underneath your mattress. I think the mob <laughs> took it literally. <laughs> they put all of their money in, in, in 10,000 mattresses. <laughs> Guys, this is this is weird because we're recording the episode, but uh, we're getting a a caller. Should I should I let him in right now? Oh, oh my yeah. goodness, who could it be? Yeah, who who do you got? Oh, oh it's uh, it's me, you 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 <laughs> son of bitches! Oh, oh my and, god, uh, it's the CEO of ABC. <laughs> and if uh, if you know what's good for you, you're only gonna talk about riches, Chicago money laundering conspiracy. Ha oh, oh, ha! I swear, I'll I'll cut you. I'll cut you like a fish. Ha oh, oh. ha! Well, I think if uh, we want this podcast to be seen by anyone, we might need to move on to another subject. Rich, I, I do want to thank you. Was worried about a frozen fish there? Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, I do want to thank you, Rich, for that amazing question. The interesting thing about conspiracy theories, though, and I've said this before, is that... He some says it all the out, time. <laughs> some of them might actually turn out to be true, right? Like, literally in the past year, the FBI released that they have, or excuse me, it was the National Security Agency Central Security Service released all the UFO documents that they had, and people had yes. conspirized about UFOs forever. There's a lot of them that goes unexplained, but to quote a future episode of X-Files, the truth is out there. Um, and I would like to transition. Rich, this is actually something? a very, this is actually a very prescient episode because uh, this week Tom DeLonge uh, announced his retirement from UFO hunting to rejoin the band Blink-182. And I'm glad that we are finally discussing something that's so in the forefront. Uh, of there, there's no career in a rock band. I don't know why he'd give up such a, a <laughs> you a make no money touring, Tom. <laughs> Um, and no, you only make money touring. Yeah. It is funny though; they are starting off in Tijuana, Mexico, which has had UFO sightings. So maybe it's a dual purpose <laughs> trip. Um, <laughs> they the, seem to uh, have uh, scheduled all their shows uh, in Roswell, New Mexico. I can't explain that. They're doing a fifteen night residency at Marfa, Texas. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the X Files um, and start off just with a synopsis, right? Two FBI agents. Fox Mulder, the Believer, and Dana Scully, the Skeptic, investigate the strange and unexplained while hidden forces work to impede their effort. It's vague, yet it gives us so much. And Max, 
I would love to hear a little bit more about how this episode, how the show came to be. Absolutely, Jeff. Uh, so the X-Files pilot, titled Pilot, premiered on September 10th, 1993. So we're closing on 30 years of this show now. Super excited for next year. And wow. this show is the brainchild of a gentleman by the name of Chris Carter. Uh, no, not the Hall of Fame wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, oh. but the, I'm sorry. It's never that one. Oh, new, <laughs> new man. New man wasn't on the Minnesota Vikings. So Chris Carter has a background like many great TV writers before him. Uh, he spent 13 years working for Surfing Magazine, <laughs> which is how he got his start among us. in writing, eventually becoming the editor of this magazine. And he leaves to go write the screenplays for disney tv movies uh this is pre sorry do you know how to do you know how you get rid of surfing magazine how you shred it (laughs) (sighs) i'm so upset i'm so upset with both of you (laughs) uh so chris carter is basically the godfather of the decom that's the disney channel original movie but uh you can only write so many things like the brat patrol and meet the muncies before you wonder uh what else is out there what else could my talents be used for (laughs) for you perhaps so carter has a chance meeting with one nbc president brandon tartikoff uh in there you guys (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm back i'm out of retirement (laughs) it's it's your boy tarts (laughs) when we said that we were going to hear this name again we weren't kidding uh so they meet uh in their mutual softball game and chris carter ends up coming on board with nbc's development division to write a handful of pilots for them uh he basically is helping them conceive new ideas none of these shows get picked up but some of these screenplays start floating around and getting interest around town. Uh, He ends up getting recruited by the Fox Network, which at this point is only like seven years into its existence, to start developing shows for them. Fox is this like hip, young network that's trying really hard to create shows that other networks wouldn't take chances on. They're aiming things at new audiences. At this point, they're really best known for like Beverly Hills 90210 and the Arsenio Hall show. Uh, So he takes this meeting with them. He starts developing this TV idea. And he said that his goal was basically just to scare people's pants off. That was his entire goal with this pilot. He starts taking inspiration from all sorts of TV from his childhood, old Twilight Zone episodes, uh, a short-lived ABC series called Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which was basically about a newspaper reporter who hunts monsters. Uh, He also takes inspiration from Silence of the Lambs, uh, ABC's Moonlighting, uh, which was that Bruce Willis dramedy (laughs) with like two bantering detectives, uh, Twin Peaks, uh, the Watergate scandal and government conspiracies and UFO abductions. At this point, 10% of Americans believe they had some sort of contact with extraterrestrials. So you take all these elements together And Carter presents this 18-page treatment of the X-Files to Fox, where it gets rejected. (laughs) They're basically (laughs) like, we have no idea what you're talking about, my guy. Uh, This seems like a cool idea, but we're not really sure where it's going. So he's able to get a second pitch. Come on back to NBC, baby. Wait, so you're telling me he didn't get it passed and he didn't have a tone poem. So tone poems are one for one. Meanwhile, this 18 page treatment. (laughs) Yeah. Writing, writing full fleshed uh, treatments, uh, kind of inconsistent tone poems, 100% accuracy rate. (laughs) 
Uh, but he's able to get a second pitch at Fox where they reluctantly decide to greenlight a pilot episode. Which is weird because they give him $2 billion to make this pilot, which is the equivalent of $4.2 billion today. So for some real skepticism, they're throwing a lot of money at this guy. Yeah, that's like uh, Game of Thrones numbers. What are they doing over there? That is money. This is money laundering. We're talking about how Fox is money laundering. Wait, it's mattress firm. It's always been mattress it's firm. It's always been. <laughs> so from the pilot, the show gets a, uh, it gets a series order for 13 episodes. That's going to get extended to 24 uh, 24, a common number at Fox, as we'll learn. <gasps> uh, for the purposes also, this pilot was directed by a gentleman named Robert Mandel, who uh, he's going to do a lot of TV in the future, but at this point he was coming off of the Brendan Fraser starring Dick Wolf-written drama School Ties. Yeah, wow. remember School Ties? Any Jew sure who's listening to this podcast should know that movie. They watched it twice in Hebrew school, and if you have not watched that movie, I'm a big Brendan Fraser Stan of the late 90s. It is such a good movie. Highly recommend. I mean, but we only talk about TV. We're entering the, the Brendan, Brendan Fraser thoughts right now. He plays a Jew in that movie, and Matt Damon talking about anti Semites. We'll know, just leave you know, that there. You, you, know, you know how I know Brendan Fraser, Fraser is a Jew? Because uh, he has a complicated relationship with the mummy. This same year, Brendan Fraser also played the. Uh, the caveman and uh encino man so he played a caveman that year too wow. great year proud of him uh proud of him brendan fraser friend of the pod come on max anything else about this show before we dive in yeah i mean we can definitely talk more about this on the legacy side but this show has two massive names in its writer's room uh we'd be remiss just to not lead into the fact that both howard gordon and vince gilligan are staff writers and producers on this show Howard Gordon created 24 for the Fox Network. Vince Gilligan's going to go on to do Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. This is a room that is just an incubator for some of the biggest primetime shows we're going to see in the years to follow. Shows that really revolutionized TV. And The X-Files itself is a super influential revolutionary show for its time. It really is one that defines the 90s. It was my first time watching it. Uh, I'm super excited to see what everybody thinks. Uh, if you get a chance to watch it at home, we hope you do. It's really rad, and I think we should dive on into it. Yeah, and if you want to watch the show before you listen to us, uh, you can find it on Hulu. Uh, you can find every season of it on Hulu, I believe. So Hulu, friend ahead. of the pod. Absolute friend of the pod. Uh, please, uh, hopefully I can insert a subscribe uh, using this link <laughs> uh, at some point in the future. Um, Hulu, but, oh, give me your password. Uh, Hulu. It's it's me again, guys. Uh, thank you for shouting out uh, Hulu <laughs> and Fox. Uh, now that we own them. Uh-huh. Uh, Mickey, give me Dana your password. Scully, give Dana Scully's a Disney princess. Dana Scully's a Disney princess now. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's jump right in, right? I, I think one of the things that first struck me about this is like, even if you have not watched an episode of The X-Files, sort of like when we did ALF, you know about things about the x-files right like the intro to the x-files the intro music to the x-files is synonymous with this show and this episode we don't get it at all we don't I was get so the, bad i was so I, bad i, I was so i was off. so upset at whomever just decided no intro you have two million dollars why would you make an intro other than just a screen that says the x-files and then we get the quote the following story is inspired by actual documented accounts it was literally, it's it's literally one of the most iconic TV theme songs of all time. 
and you don't get it in the pilot, and I don't know what episode they start playing. Yeah, shout out to composer Mark Snow for just absolutely bodying the score, even though we don't hear it. But man, you get Snowboy. some like you get some like Snow really dogs. menacing tones and some symbols doing some absolute work up top. This was like back when when it came to choosing music, because there was some time in like the two thousands where it changed to like actual like using actual songs that were in popular culture as music behind the actors this was back when you had a composer just killing it and like absolutely bringing a tone and a vibe to the show as a whole and we get our first taste of that with this scene of seeing this girl running through the wood in all white um and she's approached by a blinding light and a figure very ominously there we sort of flash forward maybe like a couple hours and we find out she's dead not only yeah we we can assume that possibly he killed her but we get the quote it's happening again like this extremely ominous moment in time i i love it as this cold open this intro you're not really given any explanation you're just thrust into the middle of a chase scene in the woods um i love that we don't see things right away and I love, love, love that police investigation line of just class of 89, it's happening again. You you want to know what that means so badly. And this mm-hmm. show from its first minute just draws you in. There, There's no wasted time with setting anything up or over exposition. You're just thrust into the action. And I, I was hooked right away. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, one of my favorite horror movies, uh, the, the intro to a little film called Thanks Killing, uh, where a turkey is chasing a woman through the woods and, uh, and murders her. And uh, I like to think that was paying homage to this amazing scene. Um, I, I hope you're right, Rich, just for the idea. I would love if the director of that movie heard this podcast and was like, yep, they nailed it. It was X-Files all the way. Um, From there, we immediately are brought to... The show doesn't really have, like, a home base. And what I mean by that is, yes, when I did my intro, I mentioned the J. Edgar Hoover building. That's really the closest we get to on Mm -hmm. this episode of, we're going to be traveling to a different destination every week from the vibes that I'm getting from this pilot. And yes, we'll see the exterior of the FBI's headquarters, but otherwise we're going to be going places and we're immediately introduced to one of our leads. uh, And it is Dana Scully, played by Gillian Anderson. Um, And she's sort of getting interviewed almost, it almost seems like she is being interviewed to keep her job, almost. I don't know if any of you have experienced that of like, oh, hey, a consultant comes in and... it like it almost gave me those office space vibes of like what do you do here and tell me about your background to make sure that you belong here still but it did such a it did such a good job of allowing the audience to not have dana scully be like oh yeah i went to medical school i am in the fbi but instead use these leaders within the fbi to give us that experience of like 
we know everything about Dana Scully that we need to know without her saying much at all. So there is definitely an uh, there's a, definitely an element of her kind of interviewing for her job, but I also do get the sense that she is still kind of being commended for what she has done in the in that sense because they are trusting her with someone with like an internal investigation essentially because they're still like you know Fox Mulder is on the books as a investigator for the paranormal and they have a lot of questions about what's going on what he's doing um you know we'll get into the fact that he has connections in washington which allow him to keep getting funding but i mean they want her to go and be the internal auditor which is a very very cut and dry seemingly boring job i would assume yeah when you have the like the fbi investigating the fbi uh, that raises a lot of questions, but I do love this intro to Dana Scully. Um, Jillian uh, Anderson oh. reminds me, just, it's okay. Gilligan you Anderson, know, uh, is that what it was? Sometimes names that start with a, a J or a G can be a little confusing you in their pronunciation. son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> how, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, uh, Max, but, leave Geff alone. <laughs> oh my God. But Data does remind me a lot of uh, Clarice, our hero from Silence of the Labs, in mm -hmm. her demeanor and things. So it's definitely clear to see the influence there. And something that I found really interesting that Chris Carter said in writing this was that he wanted to switch the power dynamic and how we view like men and women when it comes to the paranormal. And how in so many shows, it's like the the girl who's viewed as like the the out there one, the believer, the conspiracy theorist. And there takes like the straight man to try and like steer the ship. And this mm. show flips that narrative. And it's like you've got kind of like the crackpot guy and the straight shooter uh, like girl, which God in 1993, that was groundbreaking and saying it out loud. I want to like roll my eyes so far <laughs> in the back of my head. So what I will just say, if you're keeping it up at home, as far as drinking games, whenever we mention the president of NBC, whenever we mention the Simpsons, whenever I mispronounce <laughs> you, you a guys, word or a name, <laughs> then uh, please take a drink. If I mispronounce anything in the future, um, as far as getting this idea of Mulder, though, speaking of the directors at the FBI doing such a good job, we get the idea of like almost, hey, we don't want him working on this stuff, but we can't get him to not because he's so highly distinguished as a human being, which is such an interesting concept to me of like, we have someone who's performing so well, but mm -hmm. we want to get rid of him. Yeah, like, they almost. give Data Scully this great exposition line where they're like, what do you know about Fox Mulder? It's like... He's an Oxford-educated psychologist. He's their top analyst in the violent mm -hmm. crime section. He's, like, the number one dude in this field. And then they ask her and what, and if they know what his next? nickname is. <laughs> this, is one of the, this is one of the lamest nicknames I've ever heard. <laughs> they set him up to be such a badass. And what's his nickname, Max? Spooky Mulder. <laughs> His name is literally Fox. His name is literally Fox. It's so much better than Spooky. I was going to ask, like, one of the things I think this is, does really interestingly is it, like, almost sets you up to imagine what he looks like, who this person is without ever seeing him. Um, yes, this role is very famously played by David Duchovny. Uh, but, like, did you guys imagine someone else almost playing this role or, like, a different actor of the time. It was something that like, I tried to allow myself to be suspended in like 
imagination of like who would i love to see play this role of the time or like current i'm shocked how young they both are and i i don't think i realized this given how long the show aired but anderson is 24 in this pilot to 32 wow. and he's a wow. baby face 32 at that <laughs> and so yeah i from the description expected someone a little more i i, I know what he looks like obviously but like i would expect yeah. someone sort of grizzled and tenured and like the kind of person who spent a lot of time down in the basement and not this kind of like bright-eyed, baby-faced, charismatic character. Uh, Side note, what is lazier character naming? Uh, All the leads and ballers just being executives at HBO or uh, (laughs) Mulder being the name of the network that the show was on? I, I did love that. I wonder if that was like a nod to the first person who would think about green lighting the script. Um, the uh, Jeff, to answer your question, I think, you know, uh, this might be a little too easy of an answer, but I immediately go to who plays like the grizzled, all knowing scientist or like kind of like the burnt out person um, at a at a, like an important agency. So I was thinking like Tommy Lee Jones and Men in Black. I was thinking, um, oh God, uh, Jeff Goldblum from Par- uh, from Jurassic Park and stuff like that. That's that is who I assumed would be doing this kind of thing. But Mulder has a lot more energy and David to come. Yeah, like what my mind sort of revolved around was the idea of like, okay, who am I picturing? Like this guy is probably a kook. He doesn't have the charisma as a whole, but like I did think of like sort of an out there one of like, wouldn't it be interesting if you had this British guy like Colin Firth uh, playing this kook in like and yes, that is purely based off of them saying he went to Oxford, but like, and yes, I know you don't have to be British to go to Oxford. Um, I know a few things and that is one of them, but like, <laughs> that's the, what you learn at Oxford. Yeah. But like the other one that sort of came to my mind was like, I would have loved seeing Philip Seymour play mm. this role with that nerdy ass yeah. energy that he can, he nailed at certain times. Yes. Was he too young for this at the time? I believe he was. But, like, that's sort of someone that I just was like, I'm waiting to see Philip Seymour Hoffman sitting there, like, drinking, like, a big gulp and telling me about aliens. Are you talking about that energy we see from him, like, three years later in, like, Twister and Boogie Nights and stuff? Exactly. Like, that sort of stuff is what I, like, would absolutely have fallen in love with. But, like, we do meet Fox Mulder. He is this, like, when I think of a conspiracy theorist, I don't think of this quick wit person who is so goddamn charming like from the beginning yes we see like all the photos of ufos and stuff like that whomever the set designer was did just enough to make us feel like oh yeah he's in it but like he seems to be in it from a logical perspective and we get a great intro to him before we even see him when scully's first down there and you hear from the other side of a closed door of just sorry nobody down here but the fbi's most unwanted I know they, I mean, I I definitely, I wrote down a lot of cliche lines that he throws in, but it is very much police procedural language from, for like the next 20 minutes of the show. Yeah. Who else is on the FBI's most unwanted list? (laughs) I'd like that list to be published all the time. Probably me. Oh, (laughs) poor Rich. We want you. Um, You're not the FBI. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, bud. Um, So like from this point though, we get the sense of, hey, Mulder is fully aware of why Scully's there, right? Mulder knows he's being investigated. Mulder is going to make fun of Scully the entire time. 
that like, oh, you're writing your little notes and yeah. all this stuff. But we start to get a sense of him as a human being and like his fanaticism from this from a very quick scene in an airplane where some wild stuff starts happening. First of all, I was gasping at the amount of legroom they had on that airplane. <laughs> um, it literally just shocked me. They were definitely not in business class. They were in coach yep. and none of their knees were touching the seat in front of them. And I, I want to go back. Seats. Oh my God. Those cloth, those He's got an entire seats. row to himself. He is just he is absolutely a la- he is horizontal. Imagine, if, imagine the just like the sheer amount of farts that would just be in an, an American Airlines flight from from uh, from Virginia to Oregon like what how on earth is are, is everyone okay sitting on cloth bus seats uh it it's just it was one of those things where it's like yes the show was made 30 years ago but I can still appreciate the 90s for what they were um but some wild stuff happens the plane experiences terrifying turbulence to the point where luggage is flying. And meanwhile, we have an undisturbed Mulder laying down, watching everyone panic. His headphones on, he's just chilling. And Uh, he just says, this must be the place. Which is just like, what a great line. I was like, oh, hot damn, you got me. Like, (laughs) let's go. (laughs) I I do think that this particular scene is extremely important in planting the seed of doubt in uh, in Scully's vision of Mulder, because, you know, as as it stands right now, he's she thinks that he's like the crazy outlier of the FBI and having this experience of the unexplained, the paranormal happening to him, you know, insane turbulence right over or the oregon border or something like that is truly like uh, not necessarily a common thing but um uh, like probably some of her most uh, insane turbulence that she's experienced judging by her reaction and it not phasing him at all means that he's prepared for the craziness that's about to ensue we then are just navigated over to we're in oregon um we see the Sign welcoming welcoming us to the town uh, of Belfour, uh, Oregon, the gateway to fun and recreation. Um, and from there, we're immediately driving to the cemetery um, to exhume this body. Um, and some A delightful little Mulder moment, though, talking about the FBI's previous investigations into this case they're breaking down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love how he talks about the FBI agents enjoying a little salmon with a lemon twist. Um, <laughs> I love the way he says it. I love that he's so unfazed by this world, but also that like he knows something that he's not ready to let Scully onto yet. Like he's playing his cards a little close to his chest as to not maybe freak her out. But there's just so many ways that David Duchovny says particular words. These pronunciations are delightful to me. It's that thing of, I can't imagine anyone else hitting and emphasizing words the way he does. Uh, that also like kind of maybe takes the edge off before we like really get up Shit's Creek here. Yeah, it's so interesting of like what he is holding back. Like he spray paints that X in the road when we start seeing the weird stuff happening to the radio and the car lights and watches and electronics as a whole. Doesn't say a word about it. Like you can tell his disdain for the organization that he's dedicated his life to yeah. as a whole. And then you can but you also can tell like he knows the ways of working with people like when they're going to exhume the body um and the previous 
uh, doctor who reviewed the bodies comes and is trying to defend his work and not and like becoming the biggest red herring of all time and like giving all of our focus and attention he just knows procedure like i don't have to listen to you i'm gonna go ahead i'm the federal bureau of bureau of investigation that's right that's why they put the eye in fbi already though we're still in this first act and we're we're creating mystery we're creating intrigue we're showing not telling we're Mm -hmm. not getting so bogged down in details There's so many points in this episode where I kept thinking to myself, in a modern sci-fi procedural FBI kind of show, where like this would have been the end point of episode one. And this show doesn't get caught in trying to just be a multi-episode movie. It it keeps its plot moving. It doesn't get bogged down in details. And it made me miss this kind of TV writing compared to where like stopping points would have been like in a 2022 type of show like this. Yeah, like, and as we move forward, right, there's something up with the body. Like, let's just talk about it. That that body looks weird. There's the yep. great line of, oh, he obviously didn't try out for the basketball team, which just was like, <laughs> so just like, one of the charming things of like okay That's cool so law and order it's and, so and great for all of our uh i think you should leave fans we get a coffin flop yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're saying coffin flops not a show <laughs> you, you guys it's the president of corn cob tv <laughs> <laughs> um, i didn't rig shit <laughs> it, it's definitely just like but as we continue through the show it does such a wonderful job of like showing the skeptic versus the believer of immediately Mulder is like, we got to get DNA samples. Mm -hmm. We got to do a full test of this body. We're the FBI. We deserve to be able to do all of this stuff. And Scully's trying to have an explanation for everything. Use logic. Oh, it's an orangutan. It's obviously not a human being. Oh, you know, absolutely this foreign like object that she just has in her little glass we'll talk about it is definitely like man-made i think it could have been x y or z right um but i do love like one of the things that i instantly thought to myself of how this show might have aged poorly is like if that shit happened today do you not think that the fbi would have been like you know we need like five or six more agents and maybe fly that over here right or like (laughs) something let's let me make a call on my cell phone really quickly Mulder cannot call absolutely anyone it was like he knows he's under investigation he's not going to get any resources something clearly had happened before where he needed that and he's like all right i guess we're all on our own let's do this together but i mean scully has to be a believer almost like immediately once they start getting in that autopsy we also um i don't know if we uh check this point off as well but you also get to see in in this particular uh segment of the show the uh the marks on the uh initial victim's back mm-hmm. so there's two two small like mosquito bite looking marks on the on the back uh, an important connecting piece for all these different uh murders deaths disappearances yeah. etc yeah and they start tracking it based off of the marks, which is super interesting, right? Like, we go to the, I want to call it a hospital or an asylum to see two of the other people who had the marks. Um, that doctor is breaking HIPAA. I'm just going to say that. Um, like, it's I, 1993. I, we didn't have HIPAA. I think we still had HIPAA. Uh, but he was, he was just like, oh, yeah, I'm treating these two people for this. And I jaw-dropping moment for me. 
but we meet Billy and Peggy. We find that they have the mark, right? And then we see Peggy have a psychotic breakdown. Um, but like very soon after that, which was super interesting, is we see our first true moment of, I think, Scully really like diving in of fully believing into like mm-hmm. it's i i call mm-hmm. these moments skeleton key moments based off of that movie of like if you believe in it then it's real of like she fully believes she has these marks before she takes this shower which i'm surprised that scene made network television i'm just Truly. gonna say that that's very saucy for 1993 super saucy and like we see the marks and they're not the marks the audience can tell but you can see the paranoia is growing in scully and Mulder switches roles and becomes the voice of reason of you don't have the marks you're just you know you are you're fine right now um but then we start to get a little bit more of an understanding of like this show i do want to say the show kills it like the small little things this show does to help you believe in the conspiracies to help you believe that some weird shit is going on when maybe it could be explainable is just wild to me um but you linger on them too you don't get a lot of time to get caught up in those details uh an example of this for me is when they wrap up at the hospital and scully just asks like what were all these kids doing in the forest and we don't get caught up in like hypotheticals about the forest what do we do we hard cut right to the forest and now we are here and Shit starts going down, but like we don't we don't waste any time. We don't linger on details. We just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's your job as an audience to keep up and keep track. Yeah. Yeah. And this show does do a good job of like terrifying you. Like in there's not many shows I can think of that like try to scare you, especially in like the early nineties. Of like we do see these lights. We do see this mysterious figure come from the lights. And we just find out it's the sheriff and he's obviously hiding something that's happening there. Um, But then after we get this false alarm, we get another instance of the lights. And, you know, I joked about losing track of time. We lose nine minutes. We don't know what happened during that Yeah, we just see uh, like a compass freak out and a little clock irregularity. And next thing you know, weird early 90s slow-mo cut, white flash, and then back to normal. And we're back by that X as well. Um, back which by the is, X with the car dead. Yeah. And yeah, during that, it is after that that Mulder finds these marks and truly believes maybe something happened. Maybe I'm going to have a psychotic break. The fear is driving her to uh, Scully. act. Cha- or, excuse me, Scully. The fear is driving her to act chaotically and Mulder be this voice of reason as a whole. Um, but during that moment, it allows for Scully to sort of take off this hardened self of Mm -hmm. acting as the third party and gets Mulder, I almost believe, because he sees Scully believe in that moment that these things are real, that he can finally say, this is why I'm so into this as a whole. This is one of my favorite Mulder moments, actually, because he is jazzed about discovering that time loss and discovering that like there is something paranormal and unexplainable going on right now. And you can see him, like, uh, you can see him, like, physically get super excited. It's just, like, he gets excited about the time loss. He gets excited about the possibility of alien abduction. And it's just, like, 
yes, this is validating my entire all my work. No one at the bureau understands me, and you're gonna see firsthand now the person who is coming to try to take my job and my funding away. You're gonna see why I'm doing. We get so many little facets to this character, and I think it makes the pilot so effective, and it draws you in as an audience because you get goofy, smart Alec, off-the-cuff Mulder early on in the bureau and on the airplane and talking about, like, the salmon with the mm -hmm. lemon twist. You get really passionate about his job, Mulder, with the time loss and breaking down, like, how this could be possible. And then you get really sincere, open book Mulder in the motel room conversation with Scully where he starts to break down his family story and how he got into this work and what drives him as a person, uh, which I think is such a, a beautiful scene between the two of them. Yeah, it it leads to, they get a phone call. Um, it turns out that Peggy is dead. Um, she was found dead just at the scene. Um, they try to revive her. Like, they do a very good job of showing, like, she just wasn't unexplainably dead like the first person. She was try They tried to revive, tried to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But during this, um, all their evidence is gone. There's been a gigantic fire. Yep. Um, when I say I can't believe the FBI didn't send more people, I was, like, angry at my team. Yeah. Like, literally, like, screaming, like, how could you just have it in public facing knowing that people were upset that you were reinvesting? And I think we should mention that while they get that phone call that Peggy's body's been found, you just see a really quick glimpse of a hooded figure stalking the motel. There, There's no lingering on it. It's a very quick few-second shot. And, it, again, it drives that paranoia. It drives that fear fear you know that people are onto them but you don't know who it is you don't know if this is local authorities fbi something outside something paranormal and they don't give you enough time to figure it out before it's like boom on to the next detail absolutely yeah. and, that, and that's when you get to see uh the the city or i'm sorry the county medical examiner's daughter at the scene of the fire who uh i mean honestly like you know they're between her and Billy, there's, I think, the most surrounding, like, the most unexplained surrounding the, the two of them over, like, why they're behaving as they do. And, you know, we get the, uh, we get Billy's dad, who's discovered, like, mm -hmm. a couple scenes before this, uh, say, uh, like, warning them, warning the two agents to stay away from him. And, you know, it, it's super strange as well. Like, you start getting those inclinations of, like, okay, something is happening here. Yes, there's something paranormal happening, but there's also, like, human intervention or human protection, which I think is a very fascinating, like, combination. Because if it was, I think, real human nature is, like, if it's paranormal, it's paranormal. If it's unexplained, it's unexplained. You don't you don't also try to cover it up as a human. You all it, you want to try to figure out what it is. It makes it so much more of a whodunit, right? Yeah. Because we can, mm -hmm. we can believe, like, oh, it's paranormal, it's paranormal, but you can't put a face to paranormal, right? Mm -hmm. Like... You can't put a face to an alien. They literally blurred out the alien's face in the first scene. I don't know if you saw that with the static. Yeah, yeah, but the, like the smoking man, quote unquote. You can put a face towards evil. In this sense, we're almost led to believe that like Jay Nemen, the um, county coroner, is and the medical examiner is this evil person who's doing this. Um, Detective Miles is doing this out of evil and out of his own want. And that makes this such an interesting first case for Dana Scully to be on too, because you have these paranormal elements, but you also have this local conspiracy cover-up going, and it mm -hmm. creates like, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what the truth is. It sort of drags her in different directions. It tests her as an agent and as a person. 
And it is so fascinating seeing these different levels to this conspiracy. I have a hunch that this was, this is what was added to the script in between the initial pitch and the final acceptance. Because if you just say, okay, we're battling the paranormal, we're battling in a, an invisible alien type situation, you can't really sell that to an audience unless it is a, someone's going to jail, someone's covering this up. You have to have like a physical, you have to, you have to, you know, let's see who the villain really is moment. Yeah. And that's, and that is really like, uh, I, I that's to me screams, uh, I could see why it didn't work the first time, but I see why it works precisely now. Yeah, it, it's sort of funny that you mentioned that, Rich. It's like, it is very much like adult Scooby-Doo, except we don't yeah. have a talking dog. And like, yes. wait yes. until season three. No, oh my God. But like, one of the things after we you, see Teresa guys, go. Uh, I heard oh an idea God. about a talking dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, after we go, we see Teresa get taken, right? And, I'm going to keep her safe. We learn about why this has all happened. It was a graduation party sort of thing where they just have this need to go to the woods. Um, they don't know what it is. We go back to the hospital. Scully uses reason in this instance to discover, hey, I think Billy's been doing it. I can prove it. And then we get this. It's such a good scene because it's shrouded in mystery, but like they're back in the woods and all this stuff happens. But we all watch it. And we can't really explain what the fuck happened during that scene even. Like, what did you guys think about that final wood scene that we did get? So I love that Scully ties the substance on Billy's feet to the substance she found in the woods and knowing that this is how it's all connected and being able to prove that Billy's left the hospital. And I love all of the multi-vantage points happening simultaneously in this woods showdown. I love that we are hearing screams scattered throughout. We're seeing... Uh, Scully get knocked down we're seeing Mulder getting a gun drawn on him and we're mm -hmm. just cutting back and forth and like it's really drawing everything to its apex in a really exciting way yeah they really built this well uh the one thing I didn't quite understand throughout all of this is why uh Billy's dad is so overly protective over this when he knows that the murders are pretty unexplained and he is in a catatonic state and also why uh, the the medical examiner is so cool with everybody covering this up wh when it involves like potential harm for his daughter. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing. It leaves you wanting more, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that's such a great part of it is we are left from the scene, um, Billy coming out of his catatonic state after years, um, seeing that the dad is like overjoyed that his son is out of this state, even though he's got some splaining to do. Right. Like he, he has got some explaining of how like he is at the center of this. And like Rich to answer, at least my thought is I think any parent is going to be protective of their child, even if they can't explain it. Now, could he have been written a little bit better to seem like a caring human being rather than just a man with a shotgun? Sure. Yeah, I think he definitely could have. But like we need this ominous presence that can be the face to our mystery as well. True. Very true. Uh, that still that doesn't like, explain oh. why the 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 Naaman family or or Jay like just being okay with his daughter being like essentially abducted into the woods on a seemingly regular basis. Hundred percent. Eh, Northwest Oregon. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, but after Billy, after this scene, we go back to the Edgar Hoover building, right? Um, we are seeing Billy being questioned, being debriefed, 
and them debriefing Scully. Um, and it's really interesting, right? You think, oh, wow, they have all the evidence in the world. But then Scully's superiors are like, you have a guy who was hypnotized saying what he thought happened. That's our evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Scully begins to, you know, break the armor of the FBI and break the skepticism with that small little piece of metal she found saying, there is no substance that I can recognize this and match this to. Mm-hmm. And it was in the body that was taken from us. Um, and that's sort of how the, the scene ends. As we see Scully leave, we get the smoking man uh, walking into that room. And you can tell she thinks something is up. There's a cover up about. Yeah, I, I, you get the feeling that everybody wants to just believe what they want to believe. Everyone has their own intentions already. And they're going to protect their best interests. It's the same way that these leaders and officials in Oregon are protecting the interests of their small town. They don't want interference or meddling or mm-hmm. news drawing eyes yeah, on this town. Yeah, they don't charge Billy. Like, that was a big thing. They, there is yeah. no charges against him. They, they want just to be dropped. They want this swept under. The FBI is going to believe what they want to believe. It doesn't matter how much Scully brings to the table. They're going to say... All your findings are unsubstantiated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is also such a crucial detail. And I love the way that they always refer to the little, the nose device, because it just kind of pops up. Uh, Early on in the episode, after they've done all the coroner stuff, uh, Mulder's asked Scully, like, check the x-ray. We don't see the x-rays being done. We don't see what it's on there. We see a little thing circled and we don't know what it is. Even now, Everything's been burned down in the motel. Uh, Dana Scully's happens to have us in her pocket. And I love that we don't see her holding on to this. We don't see the x-rays being done. It's just this little tease of this object that we know is important. Yeah, and and that is like, um, I mean, this part in particular is just like the skeptic's dream. It's very, it's so much like they're covering it up, man. They know something that they shouldn't and they don't want the public to know. Like, you know, it sets up the FBI as like a consistent, like kind of antagonist towards what they're going to be doing. And, you know, they're not rooting for Scully and Mulder's success. That is a hundred percent not what's happening here. And you can, you can see from them shelving that particular communication device in the files in the Pentagon that it's happened four times before. They yeah, this goes so much time. further beyond beyond Fox yeah. Mulder, too. It, it has one of my favorite, I mean, definitely so far of the shows that we've covered, but one of my favorite cliffhangers of just like, okay, what's going to happen next? I know, I, I mean, Jeff, you've watched the show uh, before. I don't know how episodic or serial this show is. Uh, do they go back to Oregon at some point? Yeah, like, they don't show us. I, I'm not sure if they go back okay. to Oregon, right? Like, I chose to just watch this pilot and add this. Um, we'll talk about my thoughts about it as yeah. a whole, and maybe I'll, if I'll continue watching. But it's just, it's super, it, they just do such a good job of, I think with a show like this, leaving untied explanations and not having it meet yeah. is so refreshing because you almost hope, I hope that we go back. I yeah. hope that we get an explanation. I, I'm hungry for an explanation. What are those other four ones? Um, but what this TV show does so well, I think, is an ends. We get that phone call from mm-hmm. Mulder to Scully saying, we need to talk. And that's sort of how we end this show Mm -hmm. is this is not the end of Mulder and Scully being together this is not even the end of the case there's a section of the Pentagon that might have all of this evidence included in it 
Uh, we we love to see the bowels of a government building, don't we, folks? That's yeah. right. Uh, it's they put those communication devices right next to James Madison's flute. Yeah, it's it's just it's wild. I don't think Lizzo is playing the little metal devices, <laughs> though. I'm I'm so sorry. No, it's uh, in her nose currently. Yeah. Um, you know, we do finish that episode. Was there anything that we didn't talk about? Things that you loved about this this episode of television? Yeah, we, we tease it very briefly, but I want to go back really quick to the Mulder and Scully uh, motel conversation where Mulder kind of gets into uh, being a little more open and personal and explaining his family's history. So Mulder reveals to Dana Scully after assuring her that the marks on her back are just mosquito bites from the woods, that he actually has a personal connection to the paranormal, that he has a kid sister Mm -hmm. who, when he was 12 and she was eight, vanished without a trace in their home and it completely destroyed his family and sent him to go to school as far away as he could. And he later reveals how the government is blocking his research and how he himself went through repression memory therapy and how he can recall this bright light taking his sister while he Mm -hmm. was put into this waking coma that they refer to Billy being in the hospital scene and how he can hear her cries, but he is stuck. He's paralyzed in his own body. And so we see these connections over time and how this case isn't even about the class of 89 in this town in Oregon. This goes so much beyond that. And it also just, it allows us to get another level and dimension to Fox Mulder where we don't just see the goofy side of him. We allow him to be personal and emotional and letting this sort of rookie under his wing and getting to know him. I love the way they set this character up. I think he's a beautifully written pilot character and i love that scene yeah Yeah, i i truly i I love that as well i you know i don't know if you guys caught this as well in the imdb that um and i don't know if he's actually shown in this show but that particular doctor that Mulder is referring to is in the credit for this episode and i don't recall seeing him in any part of it is there a flashback or something like that that i might have missed which doctor it was like Heinz something, Heinz Zabler or something like that. No, I don't. I don't remember seeing him either. So maybe is that that's... the doctor they walk with at the asylum? No, there's no way. No, because he he brings up he brings up that uh, the hypnosis from that particular doctor that he's talking about. Mm, who knows? Um, another mystery. Yeah, another <laughs> mystery for the, the unexplained. We now have an unexplained mystery as well. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Doctor Heitz Werber. That's the name of the uh, that's the name of the doctor who is doing the that deep hip song. Interesting. Um, Rich, any things that you loved about this show that we didn't end up talking about? I just loved how much setup there is. Like, I, I know obviously, like I got super into the the very generic police uh, procedural lingo of just like two overly confident people clashing and and the uh, just the dialogue that becomes like so I don't know it's so played out it's so it's so like it's like it's you know you can you can almost like write it without yourself um but I am you know I I think really like what we had set up with so many different parts of the show there's so many different elements that I'm like I need to know more I think they did a, a tremendous job doing that yeah what do you think Jeff I I think this was great I think we talked about a lot of the things that were on my mind Mm -hmm. like this show somehow in the first episode gave us so much chemistry and buy-in to the relationship that Scully and Mulder had that it felt like these two actors were had been working together for years and 
were just working off of each other. So, like, congrats. Like, obviously, we're talking about two heavyweight actors, right? But, like, I'm well, just now, genuinely we are, so we are impressed. now, but they weren't in yeah. 1993. Anderson was a young theater performer from New York who had really no onset experience. There's stories, if you read into, like, oral histories of the X-Files, where she didn't know what the director meant by stand on your mark. And now she's one of the most acclaimed TV actresses of a generation. Duchovny had done a little bit of work with like Twin Peaks, but was mostly known as like a host. Uh, And so it's just wild how comfortable these two are, despite their relative inexperience in this pilot. Like two unknowns became so iconic so quickly. It feels like they've been working together for a lifetime. Before I even got into this one, I had no idea that Gillian Anderson was uh scully like because i i've watched so many things that she's in now i love sex education i loved her in the crown uh and obviously like her movie career is taking off significantly like it it is i mean she's one of my favorite actresses right now i had no idea that this is how she got her name i can very 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 optimistically say that this will not be the last time we talk about either of these two um before we get into our in-flight question any wait a minute moments that you found in this episode. Hey, yeah, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what you got, Max? Hey, you know what? You guys know that nurse who's breaking all the HIPAA violations? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> sure do. So the second time they go back to the hospital and they're asking if she is aware that Peggy left or knew when Peggy left, and she refers to it as a uh, that ward not being her side of the vegetable aisle or not being her oh side of the produce God. aisle. The, yes. the language they used for these patients was horrifying. Ooh, man, that was the most able, that was one of the most ablest things I've ever heard, and uh, just a wildly early '90s joke. That was like uh, it's like they hired the uh, the writing team for Beavis and Butthead for just one sentence. Yeah, yeah, that like was... that. That is what I expect. From a Fox show. <laughs> um, Showing I, its signs. I did have one very interesting thing when I was uh when I was like going through some of the cast, and you'll never guess who on our uh on this like uh you'll never guess who in this particular episode has a connection to some of all of our favorite artists of all time. Uh the guy that plays Dr. J. Naaman is the lead singer of a band called Clear Light, which in the 60s and 70s were incredibly popular uh, before he left to go do Broadway. Uh, he opened for The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, and Janis Joplin. That is one guy who just like had like a like a minor cameo in the X-Files premiere. That's I mean, amazing. I know. I love it. That's, that's amazing. just a little fun fact. I guess that's not really that way. That, like, hold the, f- I, hold the I, phone. That, <laughs> Shout I, out I think to Cliff DeYoung. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get to our in-flight questions. Um, if you yes. have an in-flight question, you can give us a call. Uh, or you can also shoot us a DM. We normally post a little bit about the episodes we're going to do a little bit ahead of in, in advance. We'll make sure to share those socials. But... We have a voicemail today from one of our, uh, someone who's taking flight with us. Hey there, Violet Slice and Screw. This is Alex calling in. I have a question for you about the latest uh, X-Files episode. What do you guys think happened during that alleged nine-minute time jump? Let me know your thoughts. 
Thanks. Oh, Jeff, I think the call's coming from inside the house. Oh, it might be. It might be actually coming from Washington, D.C. Um, so there are two ways we could answer this. We could answer it very seriously. <laughs> Or we could answer it like the three of us would normally answer a question like this. Like so a, I will like let a each bunch of idiots. Yeah, I will <laughs> let each of you choose how you'd like to answer it. Uh, Nothing happened. Is it a November raid by Guns N' Roses one time and continue with their drive? <laughs> <laughs> now drop it. I was just gonna say, um, they both they both watched too many cooks and they never got that time back. <laughs> And Alex, um, I will say to your question, um, in a serious tone, um, maybe they did get taken by some paranormal figure. Um, but I like to think that all of us have experienced losing nine minutes or more in our <laughs> lifetime. Yeah, you um, listen to this podcast. And there might have been a scene that was taken out of uh, what Fox and Mulder or Mulder and Scully were doing prior to this that explains everything for us um so from there we did get another question um and speaking about fox and Mulder, um or excuse me scully and uh Mulder, you know we got a question about the them almost becoming icons like sex icons in mm-hmm. the 90s and i'd love to hear our audience would love to hear our thoughts about those two and their statuses are we, are we ranking that are we doing a hot or not quiz for the top cast of x-files <laughs> transport yourself back to 1993 because because uh, <laughs> jillian anderson uh would then still would now uh david duchovny would then probably still would now <laughs> <laughs> all right so for the next five minutes all three of us are editors and writers for tiger beat magazine oh my god <laughs> Uh, I mean, Duchovny has this, like, early 90s alt-slacker hotness about him. This sort of just, like, too cool for school attitude. It's like a John Cusack thing. Yeah, like, it feels like, I don't know, Gen X hotness. uh, Plus, like, he's got a job. (laughs) (laughs) He has a very high-profile job. Yeah, I would say that, from my perspective, um, I get it. That's all. I, I I absolutely I, I get it. This is um, maybe the most uncomfortable the three of us have ever been on this podcast. No, no, no. Uh we've been more uncomfortable before. Uh, you have to listen to all of our episodes to get when I'm talking yeah. about. Um, Find out when. Um, yeah, the game but, of the week is when were we the most uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like in all honesty. I, I absolutely understand it. You and maybe it's just because of the chem like I was talking about the chemistry that the two of them had with each other. But this show immediately you are rooting like I was just like I don't want to say okay every man and every woman who are friends have to have a sexual relationship in order for them to remain friends is you know there are some people who think like that and I'm not one of them. But like immediately I'm like oh yeah. There is undeniable chemistry between the two of them that will bloom that I want to just watch that. And like, it's maybe it's just me being me. But like, at the same time, I think that the charm of David Duchovny is just like undeniable. Right. And like Jillian Anderson, I said it right this time, is like proud of you, bud. I'm, I'm so proud of me, too. That's um, growth. That's growth right there. I, I get an extra that's, scoop of ice cream. That's tonight. growth. <laughs> Um, as far as like her in this role, yes, it's just like Rich, you said then and now, like 
undeniable. And like, yeah. So I hope that's your answer to your question. Uh, you made us all slightly uncomfortable, but you got all of our answers. <laughs> um, Rich, we got our questions from our our in-flight questions done. Um, but I know that you normally have Rich's quiz of the week. Yeah, I sure do. And, you know, I really thought about the legacy of the show and uh and how much it has inspired art for you know the the coming decades and everything and i want to to give you guys a little um to borrow a game from jimmy fallon and uh i wanted you guys to fill in the blank on this one if you think you can remember um one of my favorite x-files inspired pieces of art is a little song called one week by the bare naked ladies and and i want you guys <laughs> and if you remember uh there is a uh sit back and, and listen to the song but uh there is a verse that goes chickadee china the chinese chicken have a drumstick and your brain stops ticking watch an x files with the lights with no lights on we're don la maison and then i want you guys to give me the the following uh line for this uh the three options are and the time jump is getting on I hope the smoking man is in this one, and I hope I see some aliens. B, B. I that hope the smoking man is in this one. You're correct. Uh, I hope the smoking man is in this one. Like Harrison Ford, I'm getting frantic. Like Stingham Tantric. Like Snickers, I'm guaranteed to satisfy. Like Kurosawa, I mean, bad films. Okay, I don't make films, but if they did, they'd have a samurai. Anyways, <laughs> Rich Save of the Week, everybody. <laughs> that's as that's as much as I can do before we get sued. Uh, yeah, bare naked ladies. Your check will be in the mail. Uh, for our AdSense. Don't, don't uh, promise that. Don't promise that. <laughs> yeah, the they're going to want a million dollars. <laughs> the joke's on them. There is no AdSense. Um, well done, thank guys. you, Thank you for that um, awesome piece of trivia, Rich. Um, but from there, let's talk about the lasting legacy of this show. Oh, um, boy, it is there. There is, so, 11 seasons. Keep in mind, non-consecutive, um, because there were two additional seasons, one that happened in 2016, one that happened in 2018. Uh, 218 total episodes of this wow. show. That is an insane amount of television. Most of the shows were, like, 45 minutes each. Um, the show won 34 different awards, nominated 151 different times wow. including writing emmys uh jillian anderson re winning lead actress uh best drama golden globe sweeping lead actor and actress for golden globes wow. in 1996 um i talked about the revival there were also movies that were associated with it there were two um, movies and two spinoff series. This yeah. thing is a juggernaut. Well, that that goes back to my original point of like, because they made this the unexplained, quote unquote, instead of it has to be about UFO cases, it has to be about XYZ, they left the door open for literally anything that could possibly be unexplained. It is UFOs, it is Bigfoot, it is conspiracy theories, it's everything. So I want to talk about something wild, talking about something that is explainable. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the ratings of the show. And I just want to put this in perspective. So the highest rated season was season five, okay. which debuted. The first episode had 27.34 million people Holy watching shit. the show. Um, and that season had an average. This was the highest average of 19.8 million viewers per episode. Now for reference, Sunday night football in 2021 to 2022 only average 18.1 million viewers well, I was per say, game. That, um, that, that is like 
in one episode of the X-Files, more people watch that in every game of the Stanley Cup combined. That yeah. is like, that's in, that's completely insane. So one little other thing. Um, one of the worst rated or worst viewed seasons still had 9.1 million average viewers. Oh my God. Um, and that was more recently. If you were comparing the ratings of that season to the current television viewership, it would rank 14th on the list. Um, and that's like by like 0.1 million, it's not in the top 10. Um, this show is the reason why a lot of network uh, television folks who are in those executive positions are unhappy with how their shows are doing yeah. because they literally see these numbers and can't explain how they have to compete with football. You, you at can't all times. explain. You, you can't, can't explain. explain the unexplained. I, I do want to give a little bit of context here because I, you know, based on Vince Gilligan's connection with the show, I did want to go back and like give a little bit of context uh, compared to his far more popular or more critically renowned show, Breaking Bad. Uh, the finale of Breaking Bad, which is the highest rated episode, ever, you know, of the entire show, only ten point three million people watched. Ten point three. That wouldn't have even. That wouldn't have even broken through in any. That wouldn't have been. That would have been the lowest rated or lowest watched TV show or episode of that entire season. And I looked at the numbers on this one too. And season one, which aired at nine p.m. on Friday nights, what is a, a death slot yeah. essentially, averaged eleven point two million Jesus. an episode at nine o'clock on a Friday in nineteen ninety three. Whoa. The pilot got a 12. Like, oh my God. It, it's it's insane how many people made this appointment TV. They shifted it from Friday to Sunday, and that's when it starts getting upwards of 20 plus for certain episodes. But to think about the cultural phenomenon that was this show, like you, you had to tune in week to week. And shows like this are why I think I'll always defend the weekly release model for shows because you have to be able to gather and talk about this. 100%. This show builds momentum by being water cooler fodder on Mondays by, uh, you know, it was one of the earliest shows to have like message boards in the early days of the internet to discuss fan theories and things of that sort. You, you don't get that when you drop an entire season at the same time. You get that when you organically build interest and create some people to talk about week in and week out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask question I ask to end us every week. Would you continue watching this show? And could it be made today? I mean, I'll jump in. Uh, yes and yes. Uh, I mean, the show is technically kind of being made today still. Like, they are still making X-Files spinoffs, right? Is that right? Um, but... God, I want to watch the second episode of this so badly. Like, if I if I didn't, if I had another 49 minutes to devote to episode two, just to, like, see where this goes, to see if any questions are answered from episode one, I'm 100% in. Yes, I, I think that this show could be made today. I think this is a top-tier pilot episode in terms of the actual writing behind it. Uh, I'm all in on these characters. I would 100% keep watching i don't know if i have time for 217 more of them yeah you do but i i'm definitely very intrigued i i love this flash of light oh where did these 11 years go i absolutely think this show could be remade um i think that this show there have been great very successful seasons of the show being remade with some gigantic actors associated with it i could see them remaking this pilot in all honesty um i am very surprised that we have not heard that they are going to remake 
shot for shot this pilot with a few minor additions because there's an entire generation of folks that would this up yeah um mm-hmm. with that being said i plan on watching more of this show i got That's an entire I'm friday doing. evening where i'm gonna pop in uh you know some popcorn and let my inner conspiracy theorist shine uh, watching this show and being right there with Mulder. Um, so that's three yeses, y'all. We get the uh, signal to land this plane. And as we come to a close, I'd love to hear where everyone can find y'all. Uh, this is a much less turbulent flight than Mulder and Scully's into Oregon. Uh, <laughs> before I shout things out, I just want to say, uh, we are mere days from Halloween. And folks, if you're doing a pop culture or a TV-centric costume, we want to see it. Uh, So please, if you're doing anything for Halloween that is TV-themed, please uh, tag us in Facebook posts uh, personally. Uh, Tag (laughs) us in uh, tweets or Instagrams at TVPilotsLicense. You can shoot us an email at TVPilotsLicense at gmail.com. We want to see all your costumes. Maybe we'll do a contest. I I don't know. We'll figure something out. And feel free to to DM Max literally anything. Any any image you want, any uh, conspiracy theories, thoughts, anything like that. Max's DMs are wide open. Uh, But you can find those DMs on Twitter and Instagram at MaxwellSig. You can find me on Instagram at uh, damn that stretch, and please make sure if uh, if you are a fan of the podcast to uh, rate and review on uh, both Spotify and Apple if you can. Uh, every review helps us get boosted up to to some more people who are interested in learning about uh, TV episodes and or just TV or just talking TV in general. Yeah, and as far as that, make sure to also find us on YouTube. Um, where you can see our faces as majestic and beautiful they are. Um, You can find me, though, at RunJeffRun on Instagram and Twitter. Um, As we said, you can find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV Pilots License. If you have questions for the show, if you have questions about our next episode, email them to tvpilotslicense at gmail.com or give us a call at 213-290-1713. Make sure to watch our Instagram for hints about our next episodes uh, as we are always giving some sneak previews. And with the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you. And stay safe, stay great, and we hope to see you soon.